disgusting. Yeah? <laughs> I guess I just broke right off. Um, I am uh, privileged this morning to actually sit and receive from one of the best speakers in our church. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Can, can you just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, Pastor Tom's good. Come on, tell him, tell him, get ready. Get your notes out, get your Bibles open, because you're going to be blessed this morning. And why don't you guys please welcome up Pastor Tom Landez as he comes to share the word. What's up, guys? Good morning. Um, I just want to thank Pastor Carl. Um, isn't it great? Seriously. Uh, the reason why I'm actually up here is because uh, Carl asked me to preach this morning uh, because he went to E&I. Anybody went to E&I? It was pretty amazing. That's amazing that you went to E&I and you're still in church. He's got fed all week and you're still here. But I think that's a great example because um, doesn't our lead pastor still need to go to church and still need to get fed? And he went to E&I, and he got fed, and guess what? He's going to be more fired up. He's going to have nuggets of wisdom for us um, in the coming weeks. So I'm excited for that, but you got me now. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, but before that, let's pray. And Lord, I just ask that you be here, that your spirit would talk to us. We're talking about repentance, and so I pray that, um, that whatever we need to do, Father God, in our lives, Lord, to turn to you, to change directions, uh, I pray that that would happen. In Jesus' precious name, we all say... Amen. Awesome. Um, like I said this morning, we're talking about repentance, and you're like, yay, repentance. You know, it's like, it's like uh, turn or burn, right? It's like, oh, I got to repent, and really, I'm not coming to tell you to repent. You're right, you guys already know that, right? You guys should know that you should turn to God, but I'm really um, wanting to tell you why you should repent. I mean, there's, there's some benefits, don't you think? Repentance is a powerful thing. Can I move this? It's a powerful thing. Um, when I was growing up, my youth pastor, actually Carlin, and my youth pastor, one of the things I learned from him was, like, you know, when you read the Bible, ask questions. And so I remember him, like, uh, turning to me, Jeff McKay, and he's just like, you know, God says don't steal, right? So, yeah. I'm like, well, why shouldn't we steal? And I thought, oh, you know, because the Bible says so. But why? And he kept on asking me, like, well, because it's a good thing. Why? I'm like, calm down, Jeff. I'm like, you know, and you would always like, and I always think about why shouldn't we steal? Because it hurts other people. It hurts your soul. It hurts, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of consequences that happen. So I learned that from Pastor Jeff McKay. Thank you for him. And so I'm, I'm asking the same question. Like, we're talking about repentance, right? All right, I know that, Tom. I know about repentance, but why? Why should we repent? And you know what? There's some amazing things that happen when we repent, the church will operate on all four cylinders when the, when the people in that church repent. Don't you guys think? If there's no repentance, if we're still in our sin and we're just kind of like trying to do God's will, I think one of the cylinders is out and we're just like, you know? And I think we got to operate in a way where we're going all full bore, going for the Lord. Why? Because there's lives at stake. There's more people that need to come into the kingdom. And if we're just going slow, right, and God has this plan for us and we're not reaching it, well, then let's get do everything we can. Let's get everything out of the way. Let's get everything fixed up so that we can do exactly what God has called us to do. Anybody here? Right? And so when I talk about repentance, I want to, when, when we talk about it today, I want you to see why we do it. I want you to be like, okay, I got to repent, but wow, that's, that's why, because here's the goal. Here's the standard that Jesus set. And so um, I kind of want to define repentance, right? Um, it literally means a change of mind and heart. That's what it literally means, a change of heart and mind. It's like you're kind of switching out. How many guys like car shows? I like watch Discovery Channel, like, uh, what's it, like Fast and Loud, anybody? Anybody watch that? 
I just got digital TV, so I'm like, that's all I do now. <laughs> uh, Fast and Loud, American Shoppers, uh, who's, those, who's those other guys? I forgot what it is. But they change out, they take these old cars, and they change out the engines and all the guts and stuff, and they put in new stuff. And that's the kind of same thing about repentance. It's, it's about changing your heart and mind, your old heart and your old mind going like this, and putting God's heart and mind. We're changing minds, right? Another way of saying it is, is that you're changing direction, right? Literally turning around. Um, in surfer's term, anybody surf here? Me and Carl and my brother, Clint, all right. We actually surf together, okay. Um, there's this move called the cutback, where you're going one direction, you're like, yeah, you're like, you know what? I'm going to repent. <laughs> you change direction. And what it really means is, if you're walking towards sin this way, you change direction, and you go, and you know what, sin? Forget you. I'm, I'm going to change direction, and I'm going to go towards God now. That's what repentance means. So the visual, visual picture, there's, there's no theological, like, repentance is you get on your knees, and you do No, change your heart and mind, change direction. Literally, it's that simple, and that's what it means. Um, it actually, in Acts 26, verse 20, in the message version, it says this. I started preaching. This is Paul, actually, saying this. I started preaching this life change. This radical turn to God, right? In the other versions, you know what the word is? Repent. But in this version, it says a radical turn to God and everything it meant in everyday life. All right, we clear on repentance? All right, let's turn to the Bible. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're continuing in our study of Corinthians. And in verse 1, it says this. Here's Paul addressing the Corinthian church again. It says, because we have these promises, and these promises that he's talking about is what we talked about last week. Guys, remember Carl's, uh, Pastor Carl's sermon last week? Anybody here at church? All right. It was about salvation, right? The joy of our salvation. And what the promises was is that God is our Father. He's going to take care of us. There's joy in salvation. That salvation doesn't happen in one event. It happens every single day of the rest of our lives because we got God on our side. That's the promise. Jesus Christ, Right? So he's saying here, Paul, he's all, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work together, uh, work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take pr great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and make me happy uh, despite all of our troubles. Don't you think, it's kind of um, interesting, right? We've, we've read Corinthians. We've gone through 1 Corinthians. We've gone uh, through half of 2 Corinthians. And he's always like, Paul's going like, man, you Corinthians, you better get your life straight. You better do this. Isn't it kind of cool that he's changed his tone a little bit? He's all, I have my complete confidence in you. You know what that, you know, you know what the result, that's a result of? Repentance. He's like, I, I have full confidence in you, right? And so here is he saying, he's saying this, he's all, because we have all these promises, he says a really cool line here. He says, let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God, right? We're talking about repentance here, and when we repent, well, what are we working towards? Why do we repent? Because we fear God. Bottom line, Right? We repent because we fear God, because God is awesome. And I'm not talking about this, oh, I'm afraid of God. It's this reverent awe of like, oh my gosh, you are God. 
You are the creator of the universe. You are an amazing God. I fear you. You sent Jesus Christ to die for me. You had this incredible plan, and you put it into action, and you actually accomplished it because of that, because of the feeling that I have and the experience that I have and the knowledge that I have of you, God. Well, guess what? I am going to work towards holiness. I am going to repent. And what, what working towards, it says working uh, toward complete holiness before God. And that's kind of a heavy statement, right? Is Paul saying that we should, be, at one day we become perfect, right? One day when we walk in church, we're going to be glowing. We're going to be floating into church like, oh, you know? Well, that'd, be, that'd be kind of a cool day. I think that's going to be in heaven, right? It's like, oh, right? Um, maybe, you know, but who's there yet? Nobody, no one's floating and glowing in the church. And I actually, someone told me this. I, I thought it was pretty funny. Like, you know, the moment, the moment on earth when we're in our earthly bodies, the moment that we become perfect in Jesus Christ, absolutely perfect, I think it would be like pride sets in. It's like, ooh, I'm perfect. Oh, dang. It's like, no, I'm not perfect anymore, you know. As soon as you reach it, you're like, oh, you're going to get prideful about it, right? Um, so we're not perfect. But what I, what I see here is he's saying we work towards it. You, you guys hearing me? It's not saying be perfect. He's saying work towards complete holiness. And what does complete holiness look like? Well, read the Gospels. Who is it? Jesus. Who who is the the standard that we are reaching towards? Jesus Christ, right? Very simple. I mean, look at his life. He was perfect. That's why he was the perfect sacrifice for us. He was the prime example. Are we going to reach there? Well, let's work towards it. Amen? And really, actually, another way of saying working towards complete holiness is, is actually saying this, that we're perfecting holiness. That we're perfecting, which means you're getting better at it every single time. You know, I, I surf. Um, not as good as I used to. Um, Carl's still going really well, but I'm not. But, you know, I used to surf and skate, and I was so into it. I really wanted to get better, and every time I, I, did, I caught a wave, I like took notes in my head. I'm like going, oh, how could I have done that a little off the lip better? Or how could I have gotten more air or whatever it is and kept my feet or, over this and kept my balance? Every single time I catch the next wave, I'm thinking, how can I do that better? Anybody with me about that, like a hobby or a sport? You want to get better at it. That's perfecting your hobby or your sport or whatever. You're perfecting. You're getting better at it every single time, right? I remember I used to skate, and I used to just all day just practice the same maneuver, right? For me, it was the foot plant, right? Remember Clinton? I call you gutters, right? Like every day, boom. Ooh, man, I got, I got to get higher on that one. I would practice the same exact move. And every single time, I'll take a mental note. How can I do it better the next time? I'm perfecting it, right? We're not there. Which is, isn't that a comforting word that he's not saying be perfect. He's saying work towards it. It's like it's a process. We're in a process, right? Whether it takes all our lives or... but. By tomorrow, I'm better than I was yesterday. And I want to have an attitude of where I was better than I was yesterday. And there's going to be times when, you, you know, we do. We slip. We fall. Get back up and get better again. Right? Work towards complete holiness. Uh, one of the prime examples I have is I just watched this movie um, called Jito Dream Sushi. Anybody saw this movie? It's an incredible movie, Jito Dreams Sushi. And this guy, Jito, Jito Ono, right? I've been to Japan, so I know how to speak Japanese, at least Japanese names. Jito Ono, um, arguably the best sushi chef, say that five times as fast as you can, sushi chef in the world. He's the best uh, guy making sushi, um, arguably, right? He has three Michelin stars. You know what, three Michelin, you know what a Michelin star is? 
Ever heard of that before? It's this book that is made by the tire company for some reason. Then um, they put out, they go through all, to all these restaurants, and to get even one Michelin star is like, oh, you better go there. That's like incredible cuisine, just to get one. This guy has three. And you know what three means? Uh, one is basically meaning, one star is, that's incredible cuisine, you've got to go there. Two is if you're in that country, you better stop at that restaurant or you're not going to experience anything. You're missing out, right? You know what three means? Three means it's, it's worth going to that country, paying an airfare ticket to go to that restaurant just for that restaurant. So imagine, like, I'm going to go to Japan to eat at his restaurant. He's in, he's in Tokyo, right? I'm going to pay a thousand bucks, whatever it is, it, and, and pay the $400 that uh, it takes just to sit at his table. It takes 400, 400 starting price, $400 just to sit at a 10-seat small sushi restaurant, right? Usually Genki Sushi, right? You can walk in, right? This guy, you got you to gotta, uh, reserve a month ahead because it's so booked, right? He, this guy is incredible. He has three. It's worth flying to Japan just for his sushi, okay? So why is his sushi so good? Well, check out this video. We got a video for you, and we got, we got Jito himself. いい仕事をするのが職人って。あと思うかろうが、もう、あんまりそれは気にしない。で、自分たちでも。例えばお寿司を作ってやってる。だけどまだあるんだろう、まだあるんだろうって上を見るわけでしょ。ということはまだ上に何かがあるってこと。そこまで頂上まで行けば完璧かもわかんないけど、じゃあこの頂上はどこ
So sorry about that. But let's get back on track. But isn't that amazing? And I look at Jito, and that's inspiring to me. Why? Because this guy has dedicated, I mean, he said it. I've dedicated my life to sushi. I love sushi. I'm ecstatic about sushi. I haven't even reached it. I'm improving bit by bit every single day. And my goal is perfect sushi. He hasn't reached it yet. He's 85 years old. He's invented sushi that hasn't existed before. This guy is an amazing thing. And I look at that and go, man, this guy would be an incredible Christian. I wish every single Christian follower of Christ was like him. Shouldn't we be just, I mean, if he is so excited about fish and rice, that's, that's he's given his life to this. You know? Shouldn't we, now think about this, shouldn't we give our lives to our, our Savior, Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we give to the, the person who came down here on earth and did what he did and suffered what he did and did all that and resurrected from the dead and did everything and conquered death and brought his own blood into the heavenlies and he, he cleared our, our slate for all time and, 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 then, and we have the ability to be forgiven and we have the ability to repent Shouldn't we give our lives over to that? Shouldn't we be working towards complete holiness? Shouldn't we? I mean, come on. That, I'm like, this guy, wow. We got to. I mean, it's, 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 it's that important to me. And I'm looking at this, I'm going, whoa. You know, he has three Michelin stars. Like, and there's three, I was like, I did some research. And I, you know, I love this movie. Go watch this movie. There's three uh, criteria of why you get a Michelin star, Okay. There's just three. They look at three and they go, do you have this? Do you have this? And do you have this? And if you have all these working really well, you can get a one star or a three star, whatever it is, right? And the first one that the Michelin stars look at, um, um, they look at the restaurants is, is, is quality, right? And I'm looking at these three things. I'm going, how does it apply to our holiness, right? So I'm like thinking, let's apply the Michelin stars to our holiness, right? To our complete holiness. And the first thing is quality, right? Jito has amazing ingredients. He has a tuna guy. He has a special tuna guy that gets tuna for him and delivers it to his restaurant, right? He has a special shrimp guy. He has a special rice guy. He has like incredible rice, right? And that can only be cooked in a certain way. And so this is why you look at that like, that looks just like sushi. But when you put it in your mouth, you're like, ooh, this ain't just sushi, right? This is the best sushi in the whole world. And so what I'm thinking is like, dude, how do I how do I, bit by bit, because I love what he said, right? He's working towards perfection. He's bit by bit, every single day, I'm getting better. Well, then, how can I apply my, how, how can I get my quality better? Because don't you guys want to? If I'm working towards perfection, I want to build on the, my quality as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And how do we do that? Well, I think some simple ways of doing it is putting your past behind you. Or in other words, get rid of the bad ingredients, Right? Right? If you're start, if he knows, Gino knows, if he starts with bad ingredients, the end result when he makes that sushi is going to be bad. So let's start off with the good ingredients. But you know what the most incredible thing is? Well, we have the best resourcer in the whole world. We have the living God with, the, with heaven, re, heaven's resources available to us, right? He says in, the, in his word, right, if we tithe, we, right, we tithe, he's going to open the windows of heaven for us. I want that. Because that's the best ingredients, that's the best stuff, the quality stuff is going to enter into our lives because it's available, available to us. We have the best supplier in the whole world, it's Jesus Christ, right? So how do we do that? We put the, our past behind us and we look forward, right? Because when we look, you know, a lot of us, we look in, in our past and we go, oh man, I did some bad things. 
oh, I cruise with some bad people. Or some of us, man, I remember how cool I was back then. You know, we go on Facebook, oh, where's that, that, where's that ex-girlfriend? That, oh, she's not as good looking as she used to be. Right? Sometimes we look at our past. But you know what? If you're a Christian and you love Jesus Christ, when you look back at your past, you know what you see? The cross. You should always see the cross. Where is it? There's the cross. When you look back, you don't see, oh, what I used to be or what I'm missing. You look back and go, what Christ has covered for you. And we should look that and go, you know what? And when we move forward, then we start off with the resources that God has given us. Don't look back anymore, right? Seek God's wisdom, right? Read your word. Read Proverbs. Amazing wisdom. There's a wisdom there. God's wisdom is way higher than ours, right? That's what it says, right, in his word. It says his, 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 his thoughts are higher than ours. Well, let's tap into the thoughts that are higher than ours. Let's, let's get God's wisdom, read his word, pray to him, and get him to talk to us, and then apply it to our lives. That's how we get our quality better, right? We're, we're just building our quality. What's another way of doing it? Um, building our quality. Our, uh, how about your thought life? How's your thought life? What are you thinking about during the day, Right? Is it bad stuff or is it good stuff or is it godly stuff? And I'm thinking, you know, in uh, Philippians 4.8, it says what? It says, fix your thoughts on things that are true, honorable, and right. Think about things that are pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Right? Paul, who wrote Philippians, is trying to make a point here. Think about God. Think about, the, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise, that are true, honorable, and right. Let those things happen and see the end result. It's going to be what's happened. The output's going to be good sushi, right? You know, the ingredients are coming in, right? Um, another way of improving our quality, I'm just giving you examples, right? You in your own life know how to improve bit by bit, right? How do I, I caught that wave, and I'm like, ooh, here, I got to tweak this a little bit. On the next wave, I'm going to do this better, right? Tomorrow, you can do this better. You can tweak it a little more. Um, another way is, is like we talked about it last week. Pastor Carl said, don't be equally yoked. Un- une- don't be unequally yoked, Sorry. Back the truck up, right? Don't be unequally yoked with your close relationships. Don't have someone that's not a believer, right? And we're not saying don't hang out with the world out there. Yeah, definitely. They got to be saved. But in your close relationships, are you equally yoked with do they they love God? Is iron sharpening iron or are they taking you down, right? That's how we improve our quality. The second thing that the Michelin stars look at is originality. Is he original? Is this restaurant original? Is it, or is it just like any other cookie cutter, right, restaurant out there? Is it original? Like I said before, Jito invented sushi that didn't, that didn't exist before. We've probably eaten it and go, and that was all Jito. Oh, Jito. Thank you, Jito. You know? Um, and I really look at this and go, whoa, how do I apply that to my holiness? Well, guess what? God has an original plan for me. God has this amazing thing, right, in, um, Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, for every single person. There's a unique plan, right? He has a unique plan for Pastor Carl. He has a unique plan for me. He has a unique plan for every single one. We're we're not going to accomplish the same exact thing. That's the most amazing thing. The variety of God and the talent of God and the resource that he gives you is amazing how much every single one of us can accomplish something so different, but that's so amazing, and that can build the kingdom of God. I think that's an amazing thing. You have to know that we have this God that has this amazing plan um, that wants to, we're, we're, seriously, he's broke the mold. We're the original. We're the only one that accomp- can accomplish the plan that he has for me, right? Um, the, uh, the, the definition of, of originality, actually, I looked it up in Wikipedia, it says this, and I like the, the definition here. 
It says, is the a- originality is the aspect of created or invented works by as being new or novel and thus can be distinguished from reproductions, clones, forgeries, or derivative works. An original work is one not received from others, nor one copied based on the work of others. It is a work created with unique style and substance. And I look at this and go, there's no reproductions, there's no clones, there's no forgeries. There's, we're, not, we're not copying the world here. And I, I, I disagree with the definition of it's not from others because why? We're original because we get it from who? From God, right? We're getting it from, we're, we're getting this inspiration. We're getting this thing from God like, here's your plan, Tom, boom. Here's what I've gifted you to do, boom, grab it. And it's an amazing thing is that we don't copy and we, we're not, you know, in, in um, Ephesians 2.10, it says this amazing verse. It says, we are God's masterpieces, that's, that's in his word. He's calling every single one of us a masterpiece. And when I look at that, I don't look at myself as some painting that is done, that is like, you know, the Mona Lisa that's hanging in the Louvre. It's like under bulletproof glass. It's like, ah, I'm done. I'm a masterpiece, right? Because are we complete? No way. We're, we're, we're work in progress, which means the master, the painter, is still working on us. He's just going, all right, I'm tweaking it here. I'm like, whoop. Do I have the bigger picture? How many of you guys love that guy, Bob Ross? The happy clouds guy? <laughs> Anybody? Right? Every time he starts painting, you're like, that looks ugly. What, what in the world? And then when he's done with it, like, oh, oh, Bob, you're good. Because you don't see the whole picture. But for us, as a masterpiece that's in progress, that the master's still working on, right? Sometimes we, as the masterpiece, as the painting, wants to grow arms and grab the the the, the, the brushes and start painting ourselves. A lot of us want to take the brushes from the master go, God, boom, boom, I know my life a little bit better than you. You know? And we're just like, how stupid is that? That the master with the, the, the thoughts that are higher than our thoughts, he knows exactly the finished product and we want to go, no, I know what the finished product looks like. That's ridiculous. But guess what? A lot of us do that, right? To what degree are we grabbing the brushes from God and going, nah, I, I think I got this? And to actually, to what degree are we allowing the master to go, you know what? Go ahead. Paint me. Paint me. Which means this. Are you allowing God to change you? Are you allowing God to transform your mind? Are, are you letting God change your ways? Are you, are you letting God improve your quality? Are you just going, God... Finish your work within me. And that's an attitude of going, God, just let, let me, let you do your work in me. We sing these words a lot in the songs that we sing, right? Lord, have your way. I hear that a lot in the songs that we sing. Lord, have your way. Let me ask you a question. Do you really mean that? That's a heavy statement. Lord, have your way. Which means when you tell me something, oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Oh yeah, I'll change that. I think a lot of times the words come out, but we're like, eh, Lord, have your way in this little area here. Let God paint you, amen? It says this in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, don't, and it it goes back to the the definition of of clones and forgeries. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And this is the kicker here. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
That give you, does that get you excited? Think about that. Think about, think about this. Okay, just personalize this. God has a good and pleasing and perfect plan for you. How many guys want that? Come on. Come on. Don't you want that? Well, how do you get that? It says this. Let God transform your mind. Let God work in you. Let God paint you. And then you will see and, and the, the plan, the good and pleasing, perfect plan of God will be revealed to you. I think that's an amazing thing. Let God paint you. Uh, the third criteria that the Michelin stars hold to restaurants is consistency. Right? Consistency. That every time people go to Gito's restaurant, it's the same thing. Actually, every single time, it's, if, if Gito is looking for the perfect sushi, right, the next time, what? It should be better, actually. You're like, oh, what did you do, Gito? This is way better, you know? And actually, in the movie, I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm spoiling this movie, but um, in the movie, there's a food critic who goes to all the sushi, re- sushi restaurants. He goes to all the ramen restaurants in Tokyo, and he wrote books about it. And he says, by far, by far, Jido's restaurant is the best sushi, arguably in Tokyo, arguably in the world, right? He says, by far. And he says, the first time, I was nervous. And he says, every single time I go to Jido's, I'm still nervous. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny thing, right? Because um, the guy goes to the restaurant, and Jido with all the good qualities and just looking for the perfect sushi. Every time he makes the sushi, he makes the sushi, he puts it in front of him and just stares at him. And basically, basically what he's saying is like, you know this is going to be good. You know this is going to be a life-changing experience for you, right? And the guy's like, oh, okay. And he makes another sushi. Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, yes, it is good. It is good. You know, it's like, and it's just, Gino's just like, huh? You know? He just gives a stern, like he's like, you know this is going to be an amazing thing. Every single time he's consistent. There's not a bad day where there's bad tuna. There, there's, not a, there's not a day where the, cook, the rice is overcooked. It's the same every single time. And for us, are we like that? Are we the same every single time? Are we the Christian, right? We come to church and we worship God and we give all our hearts. Are we the same at work? Ouch, right? Do we have the same mindset at work? Do we have the same mindset with our friends? Do we have the same mindset on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever it is? Or are we representing something else? Or even, even this, because Jito has been consistent from, dude, the 90s all the way up to now. Are, are, you, are you consistent in, in Christ? Have you been still with Jesus Christ or is, was it just a fad for you? Right? It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of weird when I see, um, when I was the high school uh, pastor, it's like I would see just high schoolers love the Lord and then they go to college and go, oh, that was just a fad. What, really? You tasted the Lord and he was good and now it's just a fad because you heard your religion teacher said, oh, okay, that Christianity is just one of the, one of the religions. And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I got, I got kind of fooled. No, right? That we are consistent that, you know what? God is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever, right? That we should be with him every single way. And actually, I want to be like Jito, that I would, if someone experiences me, on one day, I hope they experience Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. But actually, hopefully in the next day or a week or a month, I hope when that same person will come to me, I hope he would experience more of Jesus. That actually I would be even better. I would taste better, you know, right? That I, I would actually be perfecting my, if I'm working towards perfection, right? That means I'm getting better at it. I'm tasting better. And actually, 
right? In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says this. Paul's uh, writing this. He says, so all of us who have had the, that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We read this a couple weeks ago. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. From glory to glory, right? Every day I'm perfecting. I'm getting, bit by bit, I'm getting better. Bit by bit, and there's more and more of Jesus in me. I want to be consistent in one fact. When people experience me, they experience Jesus in greater, greater degree, right? Be consistent. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 7, verse 5. It says this. It says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages uh, those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, uh, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. He's talking about the Corinthian church, right? When he told us how much you longed to see me, and how sorry you are for what happened, and how loyal you are to me, and get this, I was filled with joy. And I think this is an amazing scripture because if you've known the whole story, right, which we do, because we went chapter by chapter, right, we went through 1 Corinthians, we knew all the hassles that the Corinthian church was, was causing, there was that one guy who was in, in heavy sin, right, and they had to deal with it, and they dealt with it, and, um, and the whole story was, right, remember the severe letter that, that Paul had to write? You guys remember that? There's a severe letter that he had to write, which is actually a letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? Thank God it's not in the Bible, right? It's the harsh letter because he had this painful visit with them. It was a painful visit, right? Actually, if you um, read in this, the scriptures back, back in like chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, it says that um, when he thought about the Corinthian church, he had no peace of mind. Think about that. He was stressed out. Right? He wasn't with the Corinthians, but he thought about this like, oh man, they're just screwing up. They're doing all this. I can't. There's no peace of mind. There was anxiety with Paul. I, I felt sorry for him, right? And then he actually says, um, in here, in this verse that we just read, he said, there was fear inside. Now I'm, I'm looking at that and going, whoa, Paul had some problems. It wasn't sin. It wasn't anything. He was getting affected by what the Corinthian church was doing. It was affecting him. It was affecting his ministry right? And guess what? They repented, right? They changed their mind. They changed their direction. They turned from their sin. They did everything they could. They felt, they, they actually, because Titus gave this report, right? Titus went to Corinth, came back with this awesome report. They're loyal to you. They're doing everything right. They've repented. Dude, everything is good. What was, what, what was the result with Paul? He was filled with joy, you have to kind of like take that into consideration. He was, he was free. He was like, oh my gosh, they're good? Awesome. And one thing about us, we have to look, apply this to us in our lives. We have to really take into the account of how much our sin and actually our lack of repentance affects the kingdom of God, affects others in our lives. I mean, a lot of the sin that we do, it's like to ourselves. We're just like, ah, I'm stuck in it. And don't get me wrong. I know there's, there's things that we struggle with. I struggle with. I'm not, I'm not saying, right? We're working towards it. But we have to realize, how is it affecting others? How is it affecting the people around us? And, and I look at this situation, this context, this church was affecting Paul. 
one of the greatest apostles of all time. God had this amazing plan, and it was, he had no peace of mind. He had fear in the inside, which means the Corinthian church was kind of hindering him from doing everything that God had uh, uh, planned for Paul. Are you hearing me? And it was kind of like this thing, oh, man. And the most awesome thing is, and here's why I think, why should we, we should repent? Because it frees us up, and it reconciles us to others, and now the kingdom of God can move faster than it ever did. And that's an amazing, amazing thing right here that Paul now is filled with joy. Now I can, man, I can, go, I can think about the other churches that I started. I can think about, I can start more stuff, more ministry. It releases everybody. It's an amazing thing, right? And verse 8 says this, I am not sorry. And here's Paul because he's filled with joy, right? He wrote that severe letter. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was this kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance. You got to make that distinction, right? Worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. And so here, Paul's going, you know, I'm so glad. I have so much joy. You guys are doing everything you can, right? You guys have God's sorrow, not the world's sorrow. And the world's sorrow definition is that it lacks repentance. It lacks that change of mind. And what does that look like? I think the worldly sorrow looks like this, is that you're just sorry that you got caught. I think, I think worldly sorrow just looks like, oh, I got caught. Oh, man, I'm sorry that I got caught. Because if you didn't get caught, I'm still doing it. Right? That's, that's the worldly sorrow. Um, worldly sorrow is just sorry that I affected others, but not sorry that it affected me. Are you get, getting me? I'm sorry that of the, uh, the effects of my sin, but I'm really not sorry for the sin itself. Come on, I can still do this if I'm not hurting anyone. That's worldly sorrow, right? Godly sorrow, very simple. Godly sorrow is repentance. Godly sorrow is I turn from my sin and I turn to God. That's, that's how simple godly sorrow is. And that's what he's saying. You know what? That's what the, um, the Corinthian church had. And here's what repentance is not. Repentance is not just stopping. Right? I'm in sin. Wait, what direction is God? Okay, God's that way. <laughs> sin is this way. I'm walking towards sin. Go, oh, this sucks. Oh, man, it's kind of affecting everybody. Uh, I'm just going to stop. Does that help? Why? Because sin's still dangling in front of you. You're still facing the direction of sin. Nothing has changed, right? And, and stopping is just stopping. Oh, I'm going to stop my sin. Well, then nothing's changed in your life. I, I've seen this time, seriously, I've seen this time and time again. Oh, man, help me, Tom. Pray for me. Da, 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 da. You know, I, I got this stuff in my life. Okay, let's pray for you. Okay, I'm going to stop. They don't change anything in their life, and they're back the next week for the same prayer. Right? I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things. We've got to take action. And, and my, my point here is that repentance is actually an action. Repentance has to have action. It can't just be like, ah. No, it has to have the change of heart, change of mind, change of direction. I'm, toward, I'm going towards God. And here the Corinthian church did it. It's a pretty amazing thing, right? In Acts, I actually read this, um, I read this verse when I first started, but this, uh, the New King James Version version is, <laughs> version, version is Acts 26, verse 19. It says this, 
Uh, here's Paul again. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavy vision, which the heavenly vision, which means that one time he was converted in Damascus and God and Jesus spoke to him, right? He says, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and get this, turn to God and do works benefiting repentance, right? Oh, sorry, not benefiting. Befitting. It's the New King James Version. I'm so sorry. It's befitting, right? Which means repentance has these befitting actions, these befitting works. And I'm not talking about salvation here, right? There's a difference between salvation and repentance, right? Salvation, like, boom, Christ, whoa. Jesus Christ, I'm saved. Repentance, he's talking about works. He's like, you know what? If I truly repent, there's action to it. There's like, whoa, I'm turning my ways. I'm changing my mind. There's, there's results. There's, there's things that are befitting repentance, right? Um, there's this verse from C.S. Lewis. How many of you guys are a fan of C.S. Lewis? Um, he wrote Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is great for your kids. But he wrote some great Christian books. And he actually wrote this um, amazing book called Screwtape Letters, uh, which is an amazing book. It's kind of a weird book. Um, it's actually two demons conversing to one another through letters. And what it was was one of the demons was a, was a minor, it was a kind of a new demon. And he had this person he was assigned to. And this person that he was assigned to became a Christian. And he was basically writing to his Uncle Worm uh, Screwtape. He's going, dude, you got to help me. What do I do? This guy's a Christian. What do I do now? Give me some advice. And so his uncle Screwtape writes him back and gives him this advice. And the whole thing about this book is it gives you insight of how the enemy works. And here's a quote from this book. It says this. Here's Screwtape writing back to his, his uh, nephew Wormwood. He says, as long as he does not convert into action, it does not matter how much he thinks about his new repentance. Isn't that heavy? I mean, think about it. The enemy strategizing how to take down a Christian. Uh, as long as he does nothing, we're good. Because there's no action. He can, he can go to church and do all this and be all repentant. I mean, feel like, feel like he's repentant, but not repentant at all. And there's no change. There's no action. Yep, we're good. We can leave him alone if, he, if he's doing nothing. Ooh, that's scary. That we, we have to act upon it. Um, I knew some guys that we, you know, this happened time again where... Um, we would confront some people with sin and they would admit it and they go, yeah, I'm, I'm sinful. And you, they would have a facade of repentance, but you know what would happen? They got sneakier. Which means they didn't turn around, they looked like they were repenting, like, hey, look, they're repenting. But really they're just like, dun, 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 do, 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 do. they got sneakier in their walk. <laughs> they're like, yeah, and sin was underneath, right? And sin, doing all this and um, don't get sneaky, repent, right? Don't get more sneaky. Um, let's move on. Let's close off with this in verse 11. It says this, and, and this is just an amazing uh, end to this, this chapter. It says, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Now get this. This is what repentance, this godly sorrow produce, produced in this Corinthian church. See what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to your own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about all the, 
all, uh, about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him about how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has been also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. Isn't that amazing? And when I read this, I just see a happy church. I just, not even just a joyous church. It's a church that, would lo- that loves to be with one another, right? And that's what repentance does. It frees us from, right, right, when everyone's in sin and they're like, you know, calling, and it's like, uh, and there's, there's no repentance, right? There's like, oh, I don't want to see that guy, right? But when a church sits down and goes, you know what, I want to repent. I want to make everything, I want to clear the way, there's love. There's happiness. There's fellowship. There's like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. When we come to church, it's like, it's not this thing like, oh, man. It's this thing of joy. This is how church should be, man. A church on track. And, and the benefits, right? Why should we repent? Well, first of all, it gives us a greater zeal. Number one, it gives us a greater zeal and frees us up to do the ministry that God has called us to do. It frees us up. I mean, I was thinking about examples, but how many in this room know the, the power of repentance for yourself? When you repent, there's weights lifted off. You're just free. You're just like, yeah! yeah. Right? I mean, come on. How, how, you, you're walking faster. Your head is up. You're like, yeah, right on, you know? I mean, there's a zeal. This is what happened to the Corinthian church. It's like, there's nothing, right? There's nothing holding me back. I know I'm throwing a lot of scriptures for you, but this is a good one. In Hebrews, it says, uh, Hebrews 12, it says, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes, I'm spinning all over this, eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Isn't that cool? Is that we're stripping off all the weights. Boom, we're running. I'm running faster. All right, more weights up. Woo! I'm gone. I'm Usain Bolt. Yeah. You know? It's, it's pretty cool. The second thing that happens, the second benefit, it reconciles you to others. Repentance reconciles you to the family of God again. It's like you're not going, ah, I don't want to talk to that brother anymore. He's just, yeah, whatever it is. You go, no, I'm sorry. Boom, brings people together. Right? I have no stories of bringing marriages together. Now they're pastors. I know, I know pastors that hated each other, and they've repented and forgiven each other. And now, imagine the, the benefits of that to their churches, right? I mean, I've seen just the power of repentance, people bringing people together. And now they're just, now, now the church is, is working on all four cylinders and humming and going. I want the church to be like that. And when we're talking about just repentance for all of us, so that we're just, boom, we're just doing it. We're not letting sin get in our way. And number three, you know what the, the benefit is? God gets the glory. God ultimately gets the glory when we repent and we are reconciled with everybody else. Guess what? More people get saved because the church is going, dude, that is a church that loves each other. That is a church with power. We're not getting in God's way anymore because we're just stuck in our pride or ego or whatever it is or our shame or whatever it is. We're not letting that in a way. Why? Like I said this before, there's lives at stake. There's souls at stake. We need, we need God to be a part of it, and we need to be us. We need to get rid of everything. We need to be running on all four, four cylinders. We, let, we need to strip every single weight off so that God ultimately gets the glory. And if you're an office fan, you know what that is? That's a win-win-win situation. It's a, not just a win-win. I don't want to go for the win-win. How many guys want to go for the win-win-win? That God wins, right? Amen, right? All right, let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much.
um, for everything, for being our God. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that would be working towards uh, complete perfection, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I pray that we learn how to repent, that we learn how to truly repent, that we learn how to change our heart and our mind, that we learn how to change our direction and go, go towards you, Lord. And, and the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is not just repentance. It's, it's beyond that. It's so that you would be glorified, that people would come to you because they experience you through us in more and more glory, Lord, that they would experience more of you, Jesus, inside of us, and that, that we would see lives come to you because of that, that we, we'd see your kingdom grow because of that. We thank you, Lord, for that. I want to keep your eyes closed. So I want to say another prayer. I just want to say a prayer for anyone here that has never made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And what that is, is that you would tell Jesus Christ that you believe what he did on the cross for you, that he died for you, and because of that, he has forgiven you. And that he rose again from the grave three days later. He got resurrected from the dead. That's what we celebrate in Easter, that he came to life again. And really, if you've never told Jesus, I believe in what you did, and become a Christian, become a born-again Christian, well, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to be saying a prayer in a bit that you can say to Jesus Christ, I want to follow you. I believe what you did for me. But I want you to tell me that you're praying with me by just simply by raising your hand. I'm going to count to three. And all I want you to do, if you want to pray with me to accept Jesus Christ, is just raise your hand. Here we go. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Anybody here want to pray that prayer tonight or this morning? Anybody looking around? Okay, I don't see any hands. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father God, as we work towards perfection, complete perfection in you, God, that more of you would be in us so that more people can see it and that they would come to here and, and be Christians and be lovers and followers of you. We just thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name we all say, amen. amen.